listening to March Mad Men, the quest to find the greatest horror film of all time. Season one is focusing on haunted house movies. I hope you've been listening. We're replicating the NCAA basketball tournament, except with horror films. We're pairing up 32 haunted house movies in a series of grudge matches to see which one advances. At the end of it all, we're going to determine the greatest haunted house film ever made. And it's it's already been a pretty eye-opening experience, some of these films. Well, a lot of them have the same tropes, but the, the quality has varied pretty wildly. And I think we've done a pretty good job of seeding them so far. But this is where, folks, it gets very interesting because we're right in the middle where evenly matched contestants are going toe-to-toe. It's not the Shining versus Haosu tonight, everybody. We've got some interesting close matchups here. We've had our first upset of the tournament last time. Who knows what's going to happen tonight? I can't wait to get into it and talk about haunted house movies with y'all. I'm, of course, John Evans. I'm joined by screenwriter Vic Wheat and reality TV impresario Rich Eckersley. Gentlemen, I hope you're having a good time tonight. Rich, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, John. Uh, It's just a beautiful Tuesday night. I am, for one, looking forward to another fruitful chapter in our quest to find the hottest moms in the dustiest basements anywhere in the genre. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, we've got hot moms in basements, folks. Come step right up. And Vic, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing well, John. I was I was just thinking as you as you laid this out as March Madness style tournament that like if you're missing sports, this is not going to help. But it's a, still a thing you can do with your time. So there's that. <laughs> well, we do have blood and sweat, if not gym shorts and, and balls. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know what the, we don't know. We're gonna get to. We might get to some balls. You never know. What a sales pitch! Do you think you can trademark a thing to do with your time? <laughs> well, who knows, folks? By the time you listen to this, you might be right back to normal, and you'll be laughing at our our sad little cloistered lives that we talk about on the show. I'm a little upset that we are suddenly. I feel like competing with. Every celebrity who is now doing like a rewatch of whatever TV show they did, there's like there's mm-hmm. a Scrubs podcast that I've been listening to, and all the actors are showing up for it because nobody's got anything to fucking do, and it just doesn't seem fair that we have to compete with them. So if you hear this, Zach Braff, just stop. You've got enough money. Let us have a little bit of the fucking bandwidth, all right? Vic, what if Zach Braff isn't alive by the time people listen to this show? What an asshole well, then, you're going to be. Yes. John, yes. Then I'll be an asshole. John C. McGinley will come kick your ass. Oh, man. I would actually, I would pay money to have John C. McGinley kick my ass. <laughs> all I see is just a missed opportunity. Think of all of the actors who have been in all of these films who had nothing better to do than to appear on our podcast. And yet it's just the three of us assholes. Rich, you're telling me you couldn't get William Cat on this podcast if you tried. I know you could. I- I could probably get William Cat right now. Hold on, I'll get this movie. All right, <laughs> listeners, get ready. There's someday there's going to be a Patreon page with extra content, and that extra content just might include an interview with William Cat. Probably not, but maybe. Who knows what the future holds? Is the yeah. point that we're trying to make to y'all well, what, right now? What's on there? It will be a thing to do with your time. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, can you put that in the logo that you're working on, like underneath it? Just put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> March Madden. 
And then in like kind of a very unassuming script, a thing to do with your time. The first thing we're going to do with our time is pair up a couple of incredibly different films, which I guess is part of the allure of our process. We are going to put in a steel cage under the shadow and the haunting. A few decades separate these films, uh, to put it lightly, and a lot of miles as well. Under the Shadow is an Iranian film, or a Persian film if you prefer. Babak Anvari making his directorial debut. We're still in the no-spoiler zone of the show, so don't worry anyone who's not familiar with these films yet. Uh, we won't give anything away, but this is about a mother and daughter who, during in the in the throes, in the very height of the Iran-Iraq War in the 1980s, uh, they're more or less trapped in their apartment building in Tehran while missiles are are landing and uh, there's general chaos. But there also happens to be an evil spirit bedeviling them. I have a feeling we might get a chance to get into this movie in more detail in episodes to come, uh, not to give away my vote. Let's keep it somewhat mysterious, but who wants to kick us off with the overall quality grade for Under the Shadow? John, not to be a dick, but you just gave away your vote. There's no mystery. We know what you're voting now. <laughs> well, if forget everyone's it, like... Know, just forget it. Let's just, let's just skip it. <laughs> Skip this movie and move on. Never really any mystery. John has like a straight party ticket every single time. <laughs> to be fair, I do set the brackets most of the time. So yeah, you should probably know what I'm what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, this is by the way the 11 seed in our uh, 32 film tournament. So yes, it's it's definitely on the favorite side. So uh, yeah, Rich, why don't you kick us off with your overall quality grade on this bad boy? Well, I'll kick off overall quality saying that I think 11 may be a little bit high of a rank for this Ooh. film. For me personally. I give it an overall quality of a B-. Um, it, is a, it is a good movie. It definitely has a unique setting, unique characters, unique social dynamics. There's a lot of interesting environment and storytelling going on here. And the script does get really clever in the third act. I especially like the fact that, you know, the whole thing centers on a mother-daughter relationship. And that relationship gets pretty frayed and hostile. And I actually find the, the themes that they explore, which we could talk a little bit about more later on, to be sort of the compelling element of this. And uh, it was it's a slow burn sort of movie, too. I'd say like the first, like I think I marked down like 33 minutes in, nothing had happened. And it's a movie that doesn't kick into gear until later. Uh, but it is it is definitely well made. It's interesting. I enjoyed it. Um, just not like an all-time favorite of mine. It's no uh, let's scare Jessica to death, huh? It's no let's scare Jessica to death. <laughs> oh, oh, boy, that's going to come up later, Rich, just so you know. <laughs> it's no how Sue. <laughs> that is not going to come up later, Rich. Don't worry about that. I gave it a B plus. I think I was, I'm very much taken by the trappings of it. The setting during the Iran-Iraq war, the way that it really sort of criticizes the role that women play in Iranian sort of post-revolution Iranian society. The story is okay. Um, the, the scares, I think, are good, and we'll get to the rest of that. But one of the things that comes up over and over again, 
in horror in general, but in haunted house movies specifically, is the question of isolation. How do you isolate these characters? And there is a scene where uh, the mother flees from the house not in a hijab, and she's arrested. And so that, again, I don't think that, I don't think that's a spoiler, I don't think it's giving away, but what that does is create the sense that to be a woman alone, her husband has been called away to war, to be a woman alone in Iran in... Um, Just the 80s. In the 80s. Well, no, but I don't think it matters in the 80s. I think it's the same, I think it's the same now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, to be a woman alone in Iran is to be isolated in a way that you are not isolated in other parts of the world. And I found that just to be a really compelling hook to, to hang this this uh, haunted house story on. It certainly makes it unique as opposed to, you know, good seven-tenths of the movies that we're watching. If nothing else, you know, give it the, the credit for being so culturally different and, and how that affects some of the, some of the tropes and and things that that they're exploring it, it definitely adds a lot of different levels and, and resonances to what's going on this is one that I, I i haven't watched again like in the last two weeks this is when i watched in our uh, original ramp up for for this season so i have the short-term memory of a gnat or a fruit fly so i'm not going to get into great detail here but uh, i i'm going to give it an a because i just like as i compare all of these films that we're watching for this show, I usually have a lot of shrugs and critiques and and several um, fall apart at the end for me. And I just remember being more or less kind of knocked out by this movie. And yeah, I've only seen it once. So it could, could, you know, suffer on a rewatch under, you know, more careful scrutiny. But I just feel like this is a very solid movie. So I feel relatively confident at this point giving it an A. And I think, yeah, some of that has to do with how it stands apart from trotting out a lot of the same, you know, almost cringe-inducing cliches of of ghosts and haunted house movies. So, um, and this is, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, it's a, gee, how do you pronounce? Jin? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Jin. Yes. You know, so it's unique in some ways, but I would say, and we've touched on this in the past, that the haunted house genre has two forms of, well, three forms of baddies, because sometimes there's just flesh and blood baddies, but you have your ghosts, your humans, and then you have your demons. And I think Jin definitely fit into that category. And those are the nastiest ones. Those are those are the, the the ones that don't have echoes of humanity. They never were human, and they basically exist to be cruel. They understand us only well enough to know how to hurt us, but they cannot empathize with us. And I do find that very scary. That's something that gives them dimensions of a threat that your average ghost just doesn't have. And oftentimes they're they're not sort of limited by the same disadvantages that ghosts have, where they're you know often barely conscious, like an echo that goes on and on. It's an emotion that you can't purge. It's like burning toast, as somebody might have said in a certain Colorado hotel at one point. I want to, John. I want to. I want to jump on that because I gave this for originality. I actually gave this a B, hmm. and the gin is a part of the reason for that. Now. Our listeners might uh, might or might not know that I wrote a film called The Worthy, 
that was produced out of the United Arab Emirates. It was produced in Arabic. And so I really, and I actually believe that this movie's success was kind of a factor in that, that I think that they, the Middle Eastern audiences love horror. And there was this kind of movement of like, we should be producing horror directly for the Middle East audiences instead of just importing it from America or Japan or Korea or wherever, whoever else is doing it. And so one of my scripts was translated and, and made into that. And I had a, it's a, a really good movie. It's on Netflix. Check it out. But the, in the wake of that, the producers had found an abandoned amusement park in somewhere in the United Arab Emirates. And they wanted to shoot a movie there. And they said, look, we want you to do a movie. It's got to be about a gin. And so I spent the next two weeks researching gins. And what I discovered is that it is, it is the singular frightening thing about the Middle East. And it pops up over and over and over again in not just their pop culture, although certainly it is there, but Toby Hooper directed a movie called Gin. Uh, the Wishmaster is a gin. There's a movie called Red Sands that was reasonably well received and, and distributed that was about a gin. It's sort of the go-to for the Middle East. Now, again, that seems that seems very unusual and sort of foreign to us. But I really came away from that going, I don't know, isn't there something else that we can draw on as a source of fear in this culture? But I think the, the catch is that all the people there and, the, and the, the people even that I spoke to, the director and some of the actors and stuff – they really like they buy into it. It is something that they are told as children about and that they're frightened of. And so there's a reason that they keep coming back to it sort of culturally. It's something that still very much resonates with them. After my presumably unique experience, I came away from that being like, oh, it's a gin. Like, of course, it's a gin. First off, I will say that Vic's movie is well worth seeing. So that is not uh, just because he's on the podcast. Uh, second, Rich, how much are you going to drop your originality grade based on Vic's soliloquy? I gave it a B plus. I had, you know, not even being that familiar with it, I sort of had kind of the same reaction that Vic had. I'm glad to hear you say it, Vic, because part of my conversations with other people have, have talked about how, like, the thing that appealed to them about this movie is that it felt so different, that there were these, you know, like, culturally, it felt like such an interesting experience. I get why people have that reaction, but there's kind of like a gross element of like cultural tourism in that statement. Not to say that it's not a good movie or that those cultural elements aren't employed well in this movie, but like it's not necessarily a reason to like what is, you know, otherwise a serviceable haunted house movie. And so for that, I don't give it much originality. The originality I did give it is that I appreciate that the movie to me at the end of the day was more about sort of exploiting this relationship that she had with her child. It kind of reminded me of the Babadook a little bit, where you clearly have a mom who, first of all, is, like you said, is is a woman in this environment. She's completely marginalized. She has a total, like, lack of agency. And on top of that, she has this issue where she has been studying to become a doctor and has recently been told that she's not going to be allowed to become a doctor. It almost has uh, elements of, like, stir of echoes, this sense of someone who who wants to be more than they are in their station in life, and you see them taking out some of that frustration on the people around them. She's a very hostile character with uh, with her family and just about everybody she deals with. And so I found the characters and the relationships in it really interesting. 
So anyways, a B plus for me for originality. I wouldn't say that's particularly harsh. That's a very good grade. And I would give it an A, but you know, that's a very small difference. And I think I've mentioned in the past that I am grading this category in our category of haunted house movies, you know, somewhat on a curve because I'm comparing it to the other films uh, that we're dealing with. And certainly all the, you know, lesser movies that we're not dealing with because they didn't make the cut. Um, and of course, you know, I'm sure, yes, don't tell me later. There's some gems we've missed. But nonetheless, um, I think relative to haunted house movies, this stands certainly enough apart that I'm not going to ding it because there are other gin uh, stories out there. That's why it's an A for me. But chill factor is a big category, super important. And of course, we're talking about the scares now. So I'll kick this one off. Uh, I'm giving it a B for chill factor. I think it's definitely uh, got some scary moments. I wasn't pissing my pants or anything like that. It has some sequences that are quite tense, and this is by no means amongst uh, ghost movies one that doesn't try to scare the audience. And believe it or not, there are a lot of these movies that really that's not necessarily their game. I think this one definitely is, and so while... Again, it's not, you know, a, a movie that I would put up there with like Juan or The Shining or some of the most disturbing movies ever made. I think it's a B. Uh, so, Rich, let's let's kick it back to you and then, then go to Vic on, on Chill Factor. This one got a C plus for me. As you said, that's, that's sort of like in comparison to the other movies that are on our list. It's not bad, especially in the first, uh, you know, the, the bulk of the movie. There's a lot of sh- like shocks and, and kind of like uh, cat scares dream sequences and stuff like that. And they're all good. Um, but they don't really kind of get into the meat of the scares until later on in the movie. So it's, it's a little dull and dry for a while. Um, but some of the scares I agree do pay off later on. I gave it a B for chill factor. And one of the things that I liked about this is there are elements to the cultural aspect that give you some fresh images and I thought that the image of the hijab and yeah. the way that they use sort of blankets covering people and things, they really got some mileage out of that. I mean, I think, John, you mentioned Juwan. When I really started to get into the Asian horror movement, what I was struck by was the stuff they were able to do with the, the paneled screens that separate the rooms and how eerie the imagery was to have something on the other side of that you know, that was obscured, but sort of translucent. And I really like finding what just other people's houses look like or other people's clothing or what the, the stuff that's going on in other societies, how that translates into scary imagery. I thought they got some good mileage out of that. For me, it, it gets a knock because I feel like the, there's a, the third act has some, some real downsides that didn't work for me where I, I actually think they took some of those ideas too far. Was that about scares though? Or is that more yes. script? No, that, okay. Well, no, 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 that's, a, that's about scares. Okay. Because I would say like several of the movies we're talking about tonight, I have major third act problems, but I wouldn't necessarily put that in this category, but I, I kind of sense as I recall what you might be talking about. But yeah, I, I like that you brought up the floating garment because it, it certainly is, um, a striking image that, yeah, you don't see every day. All right. Well, that takes us to badass baddies. Why don't you, uh, Vic, since you just had the mic, why don't you kick that one off? Well, how do you feel about the bad guys here? 
B plus. It was pretty threatening. It was pretty scary. I thought that they had some well-defined rules that didn't shed too much light on it. Like you said, it's that idea of the demonic presence that really just wants to cause pain and anguish uh, more than it wants, say, retribution for some uh, past wrong really frightens me more than anything else. And again, you can feel the cultural weight of the djinn when the little boy is whispering to the little girl about it. This is something that permeates that society, and they really capture it in a way that that I think neither Toby Hooper nor Wes Craven in Wishmaster, uh, as producer, not director, I recognize, uh, really did. Nice, nice. Okay, Rich? Rich hit the mute button. Uh-oh. Holy shit, the gin got rich. <laughs> I did. I, I actually had a full response there before I realized that I'd hit the mute button. <laughs> well, uh, honestly, I Rich, by the way, before before you, you do that, bravo for using the mute button, man. No, that's that's a pro move. Pros sometimes forget that they have it on, but I respect the hell out of it that you use the mute button. So please, yeah, continue. Good, I'm glad it's working, if not too well. Vic, it, Vic, it's a good thing I had the mute button on because you didn't want to hear the terrible things I was saying about you for bad-mouthing Wishmaster. You hold your tongue, sir. Um, I, uh, antagonist, I give this a C+. The baddies weren't that bad for me. I agree that their, their presence, the way that people talk about them, the palpable sense of fear, the the looming dread and like the ceiling above them – you know, the, the presence you feel like just outside the, the windows with the tape on them, like all of that is very ominous, but the, the payoff of the baddie, uh, not so much. I will say there's a, there's a, there's a monster under the bed. Um, I won't go into details, but there is a monster in the bed with a, with a rather unique, uh, appearance that I felt like was not something I had seen. And so I thought that was cool, but it was C, C plus for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I only gave it a B, and yeah, I won't get into too many details. But they have teeth. You know, this isn't one of those movies where the antagonists are completely off screen, and you're not worried about them. So yeah, it's a B for me. Quality of kills is a B. There's some life and death in this film, and people do die, and it feels real, and that's uh, something that I take seriously. But yeah, we're not talking about like whoa, I can't believe, look at that, oh, that's a bad way to go, you know, that's not, we're not playing that card here, there's nothing along those lines that I recall. Kills, I gave a C, and I just want to get, throw a shout out out there for the continued effect of unexploded ordinances. In yes, Burma. yes, yeah. We might double back to that later. All right, Vic? As great visual metaphors go, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I also went C. I okay. agree agree with you guys. It's it's just not it's it's not that kind of movie. Uh, when we get to slashers, it'll be a lot of fun to talk about quality of kills. Uh, but for for this, it's it's fun. One of the fun things about this whole subgenre versus like slashers, for example, or zombie movies, often is that I think that almost all of them. I can't knock for directing, which is our next category. Like I think so many of them are beautifully artistically filmed and composed and dynamically captured with moving cameras and framing and everything that you would give credit to for a director. I, I think that these are, these are of horror films. Like this is a director's subgenre. So yet again, you know, without, 
delving too deeply into this. I've seen the movie once, but I'm going to give it an A for directing because I remember being impressed by it. That's all I can say right now. I gave it a B plus. I had again. I had I had much the same reaction. I I actually really liked a lot of the setup and the focus on the characters and stuff that that Rich spoke about. So I thought a lot of that worked. Again, they really didn't stick the landing. The climactic scene, like how you set that up and how you frame it, it really is becoming for me the defining aspect of what films are really in competition in this subgenre. And this movie, to me, it it just doesn't land that. Was I on mute? No. <laughs> I, I I thought Rich might jump in, but yeah. <laughs> no, I was afraid to like. I'm always, I'm always afraid of like stepping on people, even though it happens. All Shut the up, time. Rich. Anyway, still talking. What? No. Let what, me finish. What? Let me <laughs> what happens is, Rich, you okay, wait. Okay, 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 I'm finished. <laughs> you wait very politely, and then when you finally begin to speak, then I speak or Vic speaks. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you jump right in, you're fine. <laughs> That was just unprofessional. It's so much fun to edit. (laughs) Yeah, I gave the directing a B in this movie. I thought it was solid. I actually thought it was interesting. I I just recently read that this apparently – this was a British production, and it was actually the British entry for Best Foreign Language Feature that year. It did not actually make it into the uh, nominations for the U.S. Academy Awards, but that was – this was the movie they put up. John, I agree with the, the, the larger point that you made. I think it's because the haunted house genre is really defined by atmosphere. And those atmospherics are the things that lend these movies quality and effectiveness. And so in order to be a film that is that even appears on a list like this, where we're collecting the best of the best, they're going to be a well-directed film by nature because there are things that are conveyed by the camera work and the set design that can't be carried by an actor or by a special effects company. Yeah. Yeah. This is a a showcase for what directors do. You know, even directors that might not want to stay in the horror genre can feel the allure of operating in, in the haunted house movie because there are so many formalist techniques that you can explore And as you said, Rich, like so much of these movies has to do with what directors bring to the table in terms of atmosphere and tone and mood and vibe and the sense that the camera gives the audience. And yeah, you don't see that in a Friday the 13th sequel. So those movies have very different uh, positive attributes, but so many of these movies are sleek and stylish and lovely in some way. So I, I think that that's that's why I keep giving them high marks. And script, it struck me as a B, and there are some issues along the way. And, and I, usually if, if something happens in Act 3, I, I'm going to blame the script, honestly. That's how I think of it. So that's what I'm giving it. And Vic, what do you also ding it in this category? I give it a B plus. I think that, that some of the third act issues are, are really are an execution more than maybe what was on the page. It's a little hard to know, obviously. There was one thing, and I won't get into it, but there was one thing that I kept thinking, why doesn't she just do this? 
Mm-hmm. And I never got an answer to that. And that's those are the things, especially in horror films. Why is she going up the stairs and not at the front door? Why are they doing this and not that? And it's those are, that's what pulls you out of the movie and makes it and makes it hard to empathize with. And that's what impacts how scary it is. There were one or two little things that needled me in the script. I gave the script a, a B. Um, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I did feel like there was, like I said, good character building straight from the top of this movie. I like that there were a lot of secrets um, in the household, especially between the husband and the wife character. Rich likes secrets with his spouse. <laughs> I like I like a mysterious relationship. <laughs> I like having secrets with other guys' wives. Oh! <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah. Just kidding. Locked drawers and things unsaid and, and high tension. Um, I like the, the domestic affairs of this movie. So it was like a masterpiece theater, except with ghosts. <laughs> gin, Vic. Gin. Sorry, gin. Fuck, gin. Sorry. Come on now, man. You're better than that. That was culturally insensitive of me, and I'm sorry. Well, you can make it up to us by talking about the acting now. I gave the acting a B plus. I thought everybody was great in it. I thought the little girl was terrific. I liked the husband, the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Everybody was solid. Nobody was Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson uh, is the the high watermark for haunted house acting. Yeah, before I kick it over to Rich, I'll just say I tend to not judge harshly languages that I don't speak. But as far as body language and behavior and sincerity and emotional, visceral reaction to what's going on, I thought everything was, I mean, they they sure sold me. So I'm just going to give it an A. Not to digress, but I think that's such an interesting observation. I was having that conversation the other day with someone uh, discussing Parasite and like how the the actors for that didn't get nominated for for anything, even despite the film getting so many accolades. I guess I don't feel weird about judging people's acting skills when they're speaking a foreign language because everything you're saying, like I feel like when a performance is real, it reads whether you understand the, the language or not. You know, that's a reason mm-hmm. why some people, including myself, like insist on subtitles versus dubbed, um, you know, because like you want that performance. But I agree with what you're saying. I thought that the actors in this perform admirably. Um, I gave it a B. Uh, in particular, let's call her Miss Rashidi. I thought she was great. Very taciturn is what I the note I took when I was watching it. Um, <laughs> this is not a lady that you want to cross. I thought she was great. The kid was weird. <laughs> so many kids in these movies. So many kids. Oh, you know, that's another tangential thing, but that's part of why we're doing all this is to have the bigger conversations. I just, I think I may have said this before, but I'm again struck by so many of these stories are just about family. And yeah, I would say, you know, a good half of movies in general could be described as in some way being about families but the haunted house genre, it's like, it's hard to find a haunted house movie that is not dealing with themes of family. And often these are nuclear families. There are a couple, and we'll talk about them, that where, you know, some pivotal person, the, the father or the mother is missing. But it's weird how many, you know, even if they're not totally healthy and whole, so many of these families are uh, a man, a woman, and a couple of kids. It's, it's just interesting that this is 
a subgenre defined by that particular group of characters. That's definitely something that I've, that I've become increasingly aware of. The examples that don't include that sort of jump out. I want to point out, too, though, that uh, this is just a, a great quote I came across. Variety was talking about the actress that plays the, the lead in this. Uh, I'm going to say Narjus Rashidi. Rashidi plays her character like a musical instrument going slowly out of tune. Which I thought was a, a really well well put description of her performance. She really is. She's she's very good in this. We agree on that. That's for sure. Okay. Well, that brings us to the other category. And as Rich mentioned earlier, I'm going to drop my second bomb foo. This is this is our second bomb foo uh, because it is funny that somehow our ghosts, our top thirty two ghost movies, involve uh, large bombs that do not go off, but have other roles to play in the environment that they land in, in a wartime scenario. So that struck me. Uh, how about you, Rich? What's yours? I'm giving it a Jane Fonda boo. Yes, uh, yes. Multiple scenes here of Mr. Shitty working out to Jane Fonda tapes. The, those tapes play a, a role in the plot later in the film. <laughs> Um, but they're very energetic. They, they, they also feel like they serve as this weird sort of like um, culture clash uh, touchstone for those who are those of us who are, you know, from outside that that culture. And also, like, you know, if you want to be a hot mom hiding in a basement with your kid during a, a bomb drill, then you're going to need to work out. How many people in L.A. are working out to Jane Fonda right now? Probably more than you think. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised somehow. Uh, okay, Vic, what's yours? I went for the alliteration here, so I'm, I'm giving it a B for Babadook done right. Rich mentioned the Babadook earlier, which I hated with the, the passion of a thousand supernovas. Me too. And yes, so this felt very much like the story of the Babadook, but where the antagonist, the externalization of, of all of this uh, was an actual threat and it was actually scary and it wasn't just a big goofy Sundance metaphor. I appreciated that, that this is, this is how this kind, of, this kind of story should be told. Well said, sir. All right. Well, I had the least to say about that movie of everything we're going to talk about tonight, but uh, let's forge ahead to its opponent. The Haunting, which I did watch. Oh, did we just haunt a beer can opening, or what was that? Just a grapefruit LaCroix. Oh, well, you know, come on, Rich. You need to make a big deal out of that, man. Yeah. Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, we need to celebrate Cinco de Mayo with LaCroix. (laughs) Woo! By the way, I do have, for the record, I do have a little shot glass of Anejo tequila that I am sipping during this conversation. Good man. I just I just wrapped up a six glass uh, Belgian quad, which I'm gonna let sit for a little bit before I either switch to scotch or beer. We'll find out at the next break. Wow. See suspense. You you are a true screenwriter, Vic, because everyone listening is gonna be like, "What's it gonna be, man?" Like, (laughs) (laughs) exactamundo. (laughs) All right. Well, as I was saying before, Rich had to pop a can. 
yeah, The Haunting is something I, I just rewatched for our show. So my, my thoughts are, are fresher on it. And I have to say, unfortunately, as I lead off our overall quality grade, it didn't necessarily age that well for me. And of course, we're talking about uh, what is generally regarded as a classic Robert Wise 1963, I want to say. Yes, 1963 horror film, uh, very classical old school Hollywood based, of course, by uh, on, the, on the novel by Shirley Jackson, The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, which we have talked about in passing, and everyone knows for its great Mike Flanagan Netflix miniseries. The film stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, and Russ Tamblin. It's a pretty dyed-in-the-wool... It's shocking to me how similar it is to, for instance, the uh, Legend of Hell House, uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. But yes, we have some paranormal investigators going to a haunted house to find out... Uh, if this phenomena can be quantified. And uh, that, that brings me to something else that I wanted to kind of talk about, that these films uh, all in some way, or you know, the vast majority of them, uh, deal with, which is parapsychology and the sort of, some might say, pseudoscience that, that goes into the study of ghosts and... Uh, we have all kinds of, you know, gizmos and theories and gobbledygook and pseudoscientific trappings in these films, which, frankly, I love. I'm fascinated by it. And I love how each movie kind of brings its own little, you know, chapter and verse to the table. The Haunted House mythology is something that is so just accepted especially in our society but I, I apparently as we're discovering in societies all over the world that tragedies happen in places and spirits persist in those places and they persist for years and years and years and so if you wanted to get some sort of concrete proof that life or spirit or something continues after death it just shouldn't be that hard it seems like there are millions of haunted houses, and everybody has them, and they have ghosts and spirits and stories and pictures, and you should just be able to show up and capture it and record it, and then we would all know that after you die, you're not gone. You don't just turn into nothingness, that there's something something there, whatever that implies based on the, the various mythologies that surround the hauntings. And so I understand the appeal of it. Like I understand it's a, it's a built in motivation for people to go to these terrifying places and stay there and try and do these things. I understand why it is such a trope of the genre. So we're talking about this in the haunting right on the heels of the legend of hell house and terrified and insidious and poltergeist there are ghost hunters of some type paranormal psychologists in all of these movies and i'm sure lots more that i'm not even mentioning so i understand why it fits as a screenwriter the motivation is there uh, it actually i think it that's why i think it finds its most interesting application in the innkeepers where we have this aimless 20-something become a paranormal investigator before our eyes precisely for that reason that she feels the lure of discovering ghosts discovering life after death and, and all of the the implications that that holds 
and how alluring that is for her. It's a good way to get, you know, red shirts into these movies. <laughs> well, something else we captured while you were talking was the sound of my cat trying to vomit on the carpet, but I moved. I, <laughs> I wondered what the fuck that was, and it actually alarmed me for a minute. <laughs> Well, hopefully it alarmed everyone listening uh, because it was alarming. And I had to leap from my chair and, and try to push her into the part of the apartment that has a, um, a floor that's easier to clean. And uh, I think uh, I'll, I'll step in a, in a puddle of vomit when I go to grab a beer later. She's fine, though. Don't worry. It's, it's not let's, that uncommon. Let's make sure we keep recording so we can hear John shriek when he steps in the vomit. <laughs> I think fun. It'll, I, I know what that'll sound like. It'll be, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, uh, I should I should say at the tail end of of yet another uh, Vic Weed soliloquy there that I gave the over, overall quality a B minus. I find a lot of the directing and cinematography and even some of the performances good, but yeah, this is not a movie that to me holds up. Who should, who Rich? Did you put this on here? Who was the who was the champion? I think you did. The fuck I did. No, no, I think I, I was the I was the culprit on that one. All right. so rich uh yeah what's what's your feeling uh on this film and if you want to you know comment on the larger issues of paranormalism uh feel free no i think vic vic uh, summed it up quite well and his soliloquy really made me uh feel sorry for our viewers who just have to listen to you guys jerk off about the innkeepers for another week in a row (laughs) by the way the way that that latte was made it was so impressive. Find up about her personal life. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I find the ghost hunter plot point trope, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, I'd say it's probably my, one of my least favorite elements of this genre. I always kind of roll my eyes when that section happens in, in every movie. I do like seeing when movies kind of turn it on its head a little bit or do something different or somehow engage me, I feel like then it kind of becomes a test of filmmaking prowess to, to draw me in. Um, I wouldn't say that this film is necessarily one of those. I do think it has some very unique qualities that we can get into. I gave it a B. The chills are low, but I thought the script actually was pretty enjoyable. And the overall quality for a film of its period was, was good. You mentioned like Legend of Hell House. I agree that it has some similarities um, I know this was made before Legend of Hell House, but, you know, it still loses points because of four words. Nobody fucks a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a lot less salacious. Uh, that's for sure. You know, liberated, I guess, is another way to to, to put it. Because uh, we do have a lesbian character. I think that was one of the more interesting aspects of the film. And you talked about the script and I do really like the writing. I only ding it and I'm skipping way ahead here. So I I probably shouldn't, but the only thing I would ding the script for is something uh, with our protagonists going back and forth on what she wants and her reaction to it. And we'll talk about that uh, when we get there. But I think this is a really, like, that's why back to directing and overall quality, like all of these films, this is not a poorly made movie. You know, you have to kind of give it some respect for that. But we're, we're trying to, you know, suss out, does it really work and stand out as 
a special haunted house movie. And and for that reason, getting into originality for me, I, I have to give it a C. And yes, while it's 1963, we could quibble. Well, there there wasn't you know ten movies about like this before uh, the haunting. It still just feels kind of tired and old fashioned. Let's say it did it for the first time. Well, that's not a template that I, I want to see continued. So I just don't find it uh, special in that regard. Maybe I'm too harsh. Vic, what's your originality grade? You are you are not too harsh. I also gave it a C. Good. <laughs> I went with a B minus on it. I, I the the haunting story itself is pretty rope, but I, I I thought the personal dynamics and like the relationships were were a big part of the show. I like that it kind of captured the the 1960s obsession with like psychology and psychosis and psychedelia. And, and kind of married that in a gothic style. I've had a good time watching this movie. I don't know how high it fits up in the canon necessarily, but I still found it to be fun and novel. Yeah, I just can't argue with you. I, Rich, I agree with that, except, and again, it's like watching it, even though they're not, it's not like they have it at the same time, watching this in such close proximity to The Legend of Hell House, where I felt like all that stuff was so much more interesting and better done. Really, I, there's, there's there's something I liked watching them close together. That this this was you know in its own like special like black and white way, it felt like something that was a little more repressed. You know, like yes, there's a character that's a that, that's a lesbian and is like sort of like a black widow kind of character, but it's never overtly mentioned. It's certainly alluded to. It you know they come just shy of calling her out for it, but like it's still under the surface. Whereas Legend of Hell House would have been right up front with it screaming it in your face. That's but that's my problem with it. It's like if Theodora had been had been talking about you know biting Eleanor, I, I you know I, I would have had my attention. This was so much more chaste and less interesting. Yeah, I'm with Vic on that one. Uh, I love subtlety. I mean, and I love implication. That's definitely much more the the, the cards that this film is playing. And I'm not going to say that I don't enjoy the interactions of these extremely diverse characters. We have major personality variants in our cast. And there's sparks, you know? Like, there's definitely a lot of uh, interplay between these characters that I think is usually well done. I think some there are some really awkward, kind of stiff moments, however, that are pretty corny and... I don't love in in the you know the light of day in 2020. I don't love the way that Eleanor, our our lead, just let's just get to it. You know, she vacillates between wanting to be with people, which is a very understandable thing because she's been isolated by circumstance all her life. And and she's been taking the sole caregiver of her mother for years. And her sister is a terrible person. We get that in a, in a very well-written scene. The, the, the scene with the sister is, is all scored by some like shrieking children's record playing in the background. Interesting. I didn't notice that actually. I didn't notice that either. I'm going to have to watch it again. It's, uh, it's distractingly like oppressive on the scene. And you don't realize it's a record until the end of the scene when she gets up and like walks across the room and, and takes the needle off the record. Anyways, uh, sorry, I, I digress. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of depth to this this film, um, and I think Eleanor is an interesting character. But the big central conflict of the film, she is our protagonist very clearly, is she's torn between wanting 
the the amity of relationships to to finally be valued by other human beings and this sort of much harder sell of just wanting to be in this house and because she feels that she belongs there and i'm i'm never sold on that part of it because she's constantly like terrified. The house is not really seducing her in any overt way. It spends half of its time terrifying her. So the part of her that is just convinced that she belongs here, regardless of other people being there, uh, that, that doesn't, I'm not sold on that. And I just, I didn't like, I, I realized that they're sort of doing two things at once within her, her character and her motivations. But the what they really need is for her to just decide i i belong here no matter what no matter how evil it is and whether i'm alive or dead and to me that didn't work yeah that's a feeling it's and we we can get into this but eleanor's character is as just as the protagonist in a horror film she's grating like it's, yeah. it's you. It's impossible to want to spend time watching her grapple with these things. Rich, one of the things that that struck me about it is it reminded me of "Let's Scare Jessica to Death." Yeah, because I just, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, you. But even Jessica is more sympathetic, I feel like, than than Eleanor, Eleanor is. But you have the the ongoing sort of voiceover of her internal monologue which I literally feel like in film history is confined to the haunting let's scare Jessica to death and doom. (laughs) I'm probably missing something, but that was the, like that was the list that came up in my head while I was watching this. And I just want to point out too, like I, for all the, and, and again, it's, it's hard not to view this through our 2020 lens but for all the sort of subtlety around Theodora's sexuality, like, look, this is how subtle it is. Eleanor calls her one of nature's mistakes. Yeah. Like, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not dancing that far from just saying it. And it's, again, it's, I don't know, I, I did find just a lot of that really distasteful. Well, their relationship is all over the map and and quite abrupt. And whether you owe it to editing or what, but like it's yeah, I just turned time. Yeah, yeah. It it it's not. It doesn't feel artfully crafted. Let's put it that way. We we could do a whole podcast about this movie, but uh, again, uh, my my senses were not going to have to. Which is again, like you know, for better or for worse, because I do think it is a landmark film on some level. But let's let's get to chill factor here. I'll kick it off with it's a D for me. Um, I think the first time I I, I saw this movie, I would have given it a, given it a much higher grade. But I've seen it at least three times now, and by this point. I am not scared. And part of it is that I know what we're going to see and what we're not going to see. And I know how the movie plays its cards and yeah, it just, it doesn't have any power over me in, in that regard. But I I know that's a harsh grade because there, there's some disturbing stuff here and there in the film, but uh, rich, what was your chill factor grade? Yeah, I give it a C plus. It definitely has some nice audio design. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of the haunting it takes place while Eleanor that is her name, right? Eleanor? Yep. Yes. 
when Eleanor is in bed on, on multiple occasions, uh, hearing whispering and, and moaning and groaning and, and creaking and grunting. Um, and they're they're effective. They're nice, like sort of prolonged scenes where you're just kind of trapped in her her mindset. There's one scare in particular where she believes Theo is is behind her and like spooning her essentially while she's being haunted. And it's a it's a scene that's almost repeated uh, exactly again in one of the other movies on, on tonight's uh, list. Yeah, these are effective little scenes, but they don't add up to much in the grand scheme of things. So factor, I went see. I, I feel pretty much the same as you guys. I also feel one of the things that's bothered me as a as a writer and meeting with producers is the the fetishization of like not showing things. And this is, I mean, Jaws is always sort of the go to of like, see how scary it was, and they didn't have to use any effects. And so this is one where they really use the the sound effects and the and the camera work to try and make it scary. And it's fine. I mean, it's it's impressive what they're able to do. But, yeah, it's not – I didn't find this particularly scary. And also, Rich, I just want to point out all that uh, all that knocking and creaking and grunting, and still nobody has sex with a ghost. Uh, you know, that, that just feels like a flaw to me. <laughs> yeah, that's the movie's biggest failing. It really is. Vic really wants ghost sex. Yes, and he wants Ghost Dad, too, to take Every- some some real Bill Cosby turns. Every night I go to bed and hope that tonight is the night and it never is. Yeah. You'll be like, Bill, give me that Quaalude or yeah. whatever. Jesus. <laughs> John, you're on, you're really, you're really playing the deck tonight. It's oh, a, it's a blue night. It's a blue night for me. Yeah. It yeah, is. It's yeah, a full yeah. moon. It's going to get weird here, folks. All right. So if this is, this is turning you off. You should, you should check out now. I'm kidding. Don't check out. Well, <laughs> It'll, it'll be fine. I apologize for my Bill Cosby joke. Okay. Don't apologize. You were alluding to that, and I don't think that's the kind of scare that, that ages well. Like, the first time you're watching this movie, you're like, oh, my God. Well, you know, when, when we're hearing these two women being menaced by this unseen thing on the other side of the door in this hallway, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where this will go. And so the suspense... The dread of what that is—it's quite powerful. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a scene that's fraught with tension. But once you've seen this movie a few times, that stuff doesn't hold up because you know that "quote unquote" it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, yeah. that's up to your you know sense of taste and everything. But so much of fear is you know, oh no, what is going to happen? What am I going to see? And how disturbing will that be? And once every turn in the maze is already known to you, that kind of stuff doesn't hold up. Whereas like if something is just genuinely disturbing to look at, you have to grapple with the imagery that is presented to you. Yeah. If you watch it 50 times, it'll probably lose its power. But not, you know, three, five, however many times that you might usually see it in the course of your lifetime. So, I don't know. That's just kind of a psychological thing. But it works against this movie, in my opinion. Okay. I think that ties into the antagonist as well, which I, mm-hmm. which I also gave a C. It's, it, it because, again, because it doesn't have, it doesn't coalesce into anything hmm. really threatening or or really scary i mean to me the the sort of scariest thing that happens is a scene where they're, they're there's like banging on the door and you actually see the door flex yeah and with the with something on the other side of it i went oh shit there's actually something on the other side of that door 
But other than that, I don't find the antagonist particularly scary. I don't find the backstory particularly scary. Uh, I was I was unimpressed. Yeah, I gave a C minus. Uh, the ghost is not much of a baddie here. The jerks in the house are sort of antagonists, I guess, but like <laughs> they're not they're not worth much of a grade. Yeah, yeah, I gave it a C in this area. Um, it's just you know, it, its subtlety is great, and sometimes. What what your imagination brings to the table is worse than anything they could show you, but no, it doesn't really materialize or coalesce or whatever word you want to use for phantasmas uh, in this case. So let's move on to quality of kills. I will say I'm giving that a C plus because we get in some flashbacks and whatnot. We get some relatively disturbing imagery, all very, again, chaste, dated, restrained. Um, and then, of course, there's a, a death in the third act that's relatively, even if it's handled the same way, I think it packs a bit of a punch. So in my in my view, giving it a C plus is not that negative of a grade. Uh, Vic, what do, you, what do you do for this one? Uh, I give it a C. I, mm-hmm. I feel basically the same way. I was less the, – the, the third act didn't do much for me, but I'm, I'm giving it a C. Okay. Uh, Rich? Yes, yeah, C C plus. I'm with you. I like the the montage at the beginning. Had a few like memorable, if like overly precious, um, shots of of murders that kind of held up in like a hoary old ghost movie kind of way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. C plus. Okay. Well, I gave it an A for directing, but like I would not die on this hill. Uh, but you know, like just kind of in the in the spirit of. There, there. Honestly, there are a lot of cool camera techniques in this film. I will say, I, I really like the look of it. Um, but you know, we could debate it, and I would be, I, you know, I could be talked out of that. But I'm giving Robert Wise an A just for the sake of argument here. How about you, Vic? Same. Okay. A. Same thing. It's and there's a reason that that everyone talks about it, and this still comes up. And I think it's more Robert Wise than anything else. Yep. Rich. I gave it a B, uh, non-insult, well-crafted, but uh, sure, I I second you guys. Okay, yeah, and and script is where I I give it a B as well, and it would be lower considering my issues with the motivation of the protagonist and the critical psychological journey that she needs to go on, and I don't believe that every signpost on that journey makes sense or connects to the next one, but I really like the dialogue in this movie. Like, I really like a lot of the character interactions. Uh, Yeah, again, as I said, there's some corny stuff. But I, I found when characters are talking, I was generally engaged and entertained. So I'm giving it a, a B in that regard. And I, I like the intricacy of how the, all the backstories connect. And I will say, and I, I'm glad that this occurred to me uh, to point out right now, I love the subtle thing that isn't ever – no one calls this out in the movie. But it's women that are affected by this house. You know, there's – the odd man involved in the history, but it's really about the women's spirits that are inhabiting this house and the, the commonality between Eleanor and the caregiver spirit. I think there's something really, and, and again, maybe Shirley Jackson should get all the credit for this, not the script, but I, I think there's something intriguing about that. If I was going to dig my teeth into something, it would be, it would be that ladies issues. All right. <laughs> I'm with you, John. I really like the dialogue in this. Um, I think your your points are well made. Uh, I just want to 
to flag a few things that I just noticed I went through. One was I really did enjoy the groundskeeper's wife who, who yes. welcomes the guests with the same speech that includes no one will hear you if you scream in the night. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the few times where it felt like the movie was sort of like winking at you. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the time it was a little more self-serious. Um, I liked the weird lesbian stuff. I know that you were calling it distasteful, uh, Vic, but I thought that for the time period it was sort of like appropriate and, and handled in an interesting way. Um, I also really liked the line. I don't even know who said it, but someone exclaims, am I the public dump for everyone's fear? <laughs> yeah, and I agree, uh, Rich. I, I'm generally intrigued by the the sort of dynamic between Theo and Eleanor. And I, I, don't, I didn't find it distasteful. I just found, yeah, e- Eleanor is distasteful, but that's the character, not the movie. And I'm sure Vic would agree with that. Jesus Christ, you're just trying to make me out to be some kind of misogynist? Uh, <laughs> yes, I gave it a C, although you guys, Ooh, are making some points about, you guys are making some points about the dialogue that I feel like if I watched it again with that in mind, I might be more taken with that. Eleanor is such an unpleasant character, and that's I want to be really clear about this. What is distasteful is is Eleanor and her treatment of Theo. The idea of being trapped in a house with that woman... And I've, I've actually read the book, and she's pretty true to the the character as written in in Shirley Jackson's story. It's just grating and unpleasant, and now wait, self involved and Theo is very cruel to her too. Like you know, like none of this comes from Theo being a complete angel to her. Like they have a bizarrely up and down antagonistic relationship at the. She's pretty like duplicitous with her too. It's yeah, like, it's like one moment she's being nurturing, and the next moment she's you know being just evil and conniving. Exactly. Yes. No, that's sorry, that's true. I don't know, guys. I look that the the nature's mistake line just that really that really sticks in my craw. And again, I understand that that's a a, a more of a time specific perspective and everything else, but. It's it's a it's a very cheap comeback uh, that would yeah would never fly today. But like that was the that was the low hanging fruit if somebody pissed you off at that yeah. at that point in time, you know, uh, theoretically. I, yeah, I agree. So uh, again, it's uh, I, I don't know. It didn't. It, it was this was not a this was not a fun watch for me. Like I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy. I didn't enjoy watching this. Mark Way is the only one who's not odious, am I right? Like, I liked Mark Way. I liked watching the – he's the doctor who organizes this whole thing. And he has this very, very, you know, mid-20th century dapper charm that reminds you of a lot of icons very, of Hollywood cinema. Very Clark Gable. Yeah. Uh, and and I even – I would even say I didn't mind Russ Tamblin as Luke. I thought he had some mm-hmm. – uh, I, I thought he had some some good comic relief and everything else. I gave the acting a B. The more we talk about it, the more you realize. I mean, it really is the central core of this movie is Eleanor and Theo and mm-hmm. their their reactions and the 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 way that they play off of each other. And they're both fine at it. It's just awful to watch. About Mrs. Dudley, I thought I thought she was terrific, and I did like her her sort of repeated lines. I mean, it's a very one note performance, but it's it's very entertaining for what it is. Well, and when for, specifically when when everyone keeps having their conversation, and she just goes through her spiel in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and eventually Markway's like, "Will you be quiet?" or something. 
even liked I even liked when Markway's wife shows up, Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought her I th- that was like a much needed like I sort of perked up when she was like, "Oh, good." Like, well, if I'm going to stay here, I better see a ghost. And Eleanor says very viciously, "Well, you should stay in the nursery then." She's yeah, like, well, that's where I'm going then. I give credit to that in the script, and I do think there is like an interesting one of the questions the film poses is. We know that Eleanor, of course, is going to fall in love with this guy because she's had no alternative. But what does Dr. Markway feel about her? And I think that isn't as obvious. And I think there is something interesting about their chemistry that's not just, you know, skin deep. Yeah, he's definitely into crazy chicks. There's the great moment when his wife shows up and Eleanor's like, who is this? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm his wife. Oh, he didn't tell you he was married? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, no, he's a, yeah. Now that was, yeah, that was a wild moment. And it makes you wonder, is he wearing a ring? Like what, how did that exactly happen? Uh, that she wasn't aware of that. Um, I think all of that is kind of fascinating. Um, so I'm giving it a B plus for acting. Uh, I, I think everyone does, you know, even though I think Eleanor is very of her times, but, I mean, that actress, she is giving it her all. And I, I think Julie Harris has, like, a very vulnerable performance because I think she knows that she's playing, like, a deeply flawed person. So, anyway, we got to keep it moving here. Um, my other category is going to be Thump Foo. And that, of course, is referring to, in my opinion, the best scene in this movie where the two terrified women are under siege in their room and we don't see a thing. Other than, well, I think the swelling doors later, uh, we just hear this sort of auditory assault. And that, like, again, not having seen the movie before, not knowing what it, what horrors might lurk ahead. I I remember being quite tense during that sequence. And it's still the one, the scene that I think of the most about this film. I'm giving an A for architecture, particularly the interiors. And I know this isn't really a comment about this film, but I do think that one of the rewards of watching this now was seeing all of the little set pieces in here, like the statues and the spiral staircase yeah. um, and foyer and how they were recreated when Flanagan remade this um, decades and decades later and how organically those set pieces is tied into the story as though they really did serve a function for the, the greater whole of, uh, of this tale. So I feel like they were doing something right in terms mm-hmm. of the production design and the character of the home. I just give it an F for annoying protagonist. Wow. Harsh. I, 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 like, yeah, look, I'm sorry. I, I wouldn't want to spend two hours with Eleanor at a dinner party. And so spending two hours with her in, in this movie was, was really challenging. That may be something that's sort of personal to me. Like it's, I'm not opposed to unlikable protagonists, but boy, she just, she just was everything out of her mouth was just nails on a chalkboard to me. I can't disagree, but I just like the movie, you know, like I wouldn't put this movie in the category of like, uh, honestly, some of the Bloomhouse movies that we've talked about. I, I, I genuinely like this movie. I, I enjoy watching it. Are there parts where I roll my eyes? Absolutely. Is it, by my standards, way too tame for a horror movie? Yeah. But 
I think it's a good movie. So that's that's all I have to say about it. Uh, let's vote. Uh, I think I already did, but I'm I'm casting my vote for Under the Shadow, and this is definitely a case where modern really is better than old fashioned. Rich, what do you vote for? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go the same way. I'm going to go Under the Shadow. And Vic, uh, he he votes for The Haunting, but unfortunately, you're outvoted. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to vote for Under the Shadow twice. <laughs> Uh, well, the good news is that uh, Julie Harris would like to do a, an exclusive interview with you, Vic. So she'll be calling you shortly. Oh, good. Yes. All right. Well, with one matchup complete, we're going to call that a show. Tune in next time for another matchup of Haunted House movies going toe-to-toe as March Madman rolls on. For now, adios. Adios.